The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 185. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hey, uh, Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the second of the two-parter, the 11th Doctor two-parter, called Flesh and Stone. Last time we talked the Time of the Angels, and this time it's Flesh and Stone. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hello, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where you can find us at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You can also retweet our episodes on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And uh, be sure to leave us comments in both places. We love to engage with you in social media. It's a wonderful way of connecting with you, our audience. Uh, all right, so this is the second of two parts. Uh, this was, It originally aired this in the first season of The Eleventh Doctor in 2010. So as we record this, just about 10 years ago, which, you know, as usual, blows my mind the, the, the way the time has passed. Uh, and uh, so this is Amy, River, the Doctor, Weeping Angels, the Crash of the Byzantium, where we left off with the Doctor and the crew trying to escape from the Weeping Angels in these, uh, this maze of death. As the Weeping Angels were approaching them, they were underneath the crashed ship of Byzantium, which was 30 meters above them, no way out. And the Doctor takes the Octavian, the the bishop leading the little crew of uh, armed clerics, takes his pistol and shoots this gravity globe that was providing light above them. As he says to everyone, make sure you jump when I when I shoot the gravity globe. And so that's where we we pick up. And what happens is is uh, he, the Doctor knew that by shooting the gravity globe, he reversed gravity just enough for them to jump to the ship where the gravity plating is still active, so it's holding them essentially upside down uh, in relation to the the cavern they were just in, standing on the hull of the ship. Because the ship has its own gravity, since it's a spaceship, it's got its own artificial gravity, and that is still on. Yes. Uh, So now they're standing on the hull, and and they look up from their perspective, and see the weeping angels now uh, reaching where they were standing a moment before, reaching up to to come at them. Apparently, they can fly. No, they can <laughs> jump too. When no oh, one's right. looking at them, they're going to jump that's too. Right. So they have to open up this hatch that's uh, conveniently placed right there in the hull. And it takes four turns to open it. And Amy, it, do, the doctor tells Amy to make the four turns, and she says ten. Yeah, right, yep. right. And so they, uh, they, well, that's actually the next uh, hatch. But yes, uh, they are they are trapped in this corridor with the 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 airlock hatch on one side, and this other. Um, I keep thinking fire door, which it's not. It's a you know, it's a it, it's essentially it's a fire an- door closed on the other side. They're trapped in this with the angels coming for them. 
and he says, we, we, we get this sort of MacGuffin moment where the only way to open up the fire door, the blast door, is to, tr- is to use all the power in this corridor, including the lights, because the angels have now gotten through the hatch. They keep draining, making the lights blink so that they can move little by little toward them. And he has to turn out all the lights to use that power to power the blast door, which I'm thinking, why don't you just like throw them out back out the airlock while the lights are still on, like the angels? Yeah, there are a number of things. This is kind of the Dalek staircase problem that you just have (laughs) some of your soldiers watch them and other soldiers throw them out. Um, Exactly. Or one that I've been thinking about. So even if I don't have a TARDIS, if I've got more than one weeping angel on my trail, I'll just look at them both and turn one of them to face the other so that they're watching each other. (laughs) Right. That seems like a ve- an eminently sensible solution, which nobody seems to pick up on. Although, and by the way, later on in this episode, there are times when there are angels looking at each other, like looking at the yeah, back yep. of the others. And we, 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 as you've mentioned many times, Jimmy, this is science fairy tale, yeah. <laughs> not, not yep. science fiction, or even science fantasy. Uh, the rules go out the window. So yes, the doctor does tell Amy to turn the wheel four times, and she says ten back, and acts as if she said four. Yeah. Also, uh, we have uh, Father Octavian, the bishop, continues to be a very respectable figure, and he's he and we'll see that as the episode goes along. I like how they include some religious elements. So, like as they're about to do the really dangerous thing of shoot the angels in the dark while we're opening the hatch, you know, he says, "God be with us all," and it's nice to have him, you know, having his religious sensibility inform his his actions rather than just, oh, he happens to be a cleric, but we're not going to do anything religious about it. Right. Also, and their their goal is to get into the auxiliary control room at this point. Right. Uh, and the, they shoot at the angels, by the way, as the lights go out, not so much, I think, to damage them as to provide a light source that slows them down. As the as the guns fire, they, they create flashes Sparks. of light. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw, you know, basically covering fire, you know, to, to keep them back. Yeah, uh, but uh, although I don't know how effective the covering fire is, like the how, shooting them even when they're not in their stone state, I don't know if that's effective. Well, they may not know uh, that much about what it, they're like when they're not in their stone state. Later, we see evidence that they're movable stone, in which yeah. case you're creating a huge ricochet risk here. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're in a tiny <laughs> metal, tiny metal tube with a bunch of stone statues, and you're firing weapons. Yeah, like yes. that smart. <laughs> so anyway, they do get into this secondary this secondary flight deck, this auxiliary control room, uh, where they're now surrounded. All the entrances are covered. Their angels are coming through all the hatches. And the doctor says, we've got five minutes. And Amy says, nine. Yeah. And he gives her that <laughs> weird look. What, what? And then uh, they have this wall that he opens up, and it's it's a forest that's the oxygen generator for the ship, which mm-hmm. I think is a kind of a neat idea. These yeah. Trees yeah. that are artificially engineered with mechanical bits to produce oxygen in, in tree borgs instead of cyborgs. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. And, that, that uh, is they, something they that's been in, that's something that's been yeah. in science fiction before, though. The idea of these these uh, deep space voyagers instead of having to you know recycle mm-hmm. oxygen or whatever, where you actually have you know your arboreum basically, you know, where you got right. you've got trees, you have got things planted. Which, of course, then becomes, you know, a beautiful place to go sit while you're flying through the middle of interstellar space. Right. And so as the wall opens, Amy says eight, 
And then the doctor explains how the force works, and Amy's asking if she's impressed, and she says seven. <laughs> so we have this countdown going on that Amy's not yep. quite aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then meanwhile, Angel Bob comes on the radio and says that the angels are in Amy's eyes. Mm-hmm. And he also says that the angels are feasting on the radiation and will soon take over the universe. And the power source, I have a, a note, the power source is something the doctor hasn't noticed yet. Oh, that's right. What are they feasting on? It's not so much the radiation from the engine anymore. And, and bef- before we get to what the power source is that the doctor hasn't noticed, uh, the doctor, so in the ox control room, they have these comfy chairs that the doctor is sitting in. Yeah. And he talks to Bob over the radio about the comfy chairs, and, and Bob <laughs> says the angels really don't care about the comfy chairs, and the doctor says, ha, I made him say comfy chairs. So, one thing I did like, they talk about how the angel was in her eye, and they actually show the angel in inside of her retina that, that that was i thought that was kind of that was very effective actually yeah, yeah. it was creepy and we effective, see yeah. it in the iris of her eye and he tell they t- the angel bob says i'm t- he tells her this because i want her to be scared like and oh and it's all the creepier because it's really po- the voice of really polite sacred bob who is just being it's, he sounds nice but it's really malevolent it's really creepy yeah. at this point the doctor so she amy has gotten down to three and yes. the and the doctor is talking to Bob, and he says, "Why are they making her count to make her afraid, sir? Why, for fun, sir? Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's just they're one right. scared just because it's fun to make her scared. And uh, so they he says they're feasting on this thing that the doctor hasn't noticed, and he turns around and looks over his head. We have we see the crack in the universe from ba- Amy's bedroom, and it's getting bigger and wider." As as we watch, and it's the first time that the doctor has seen one of the cracks in time since Amy's bedroom. Mm-hmm. We, the right. viewer, have seen them in each episode, but only yes. when the doctor wasn't looking. Right in the Beast Blow and Victory of the Daleks, as the TARDIS was flying away at the end of the episode, we would see it. So the doctor stops to scan the crack while the others run into the forest to get to the primary flight deck, which is on the other side. That gives the angels time to get in the room, and he tries to get away by looking back and forth at them, which shouldn't work, really, well, <laughs> because they should be able well, to move fast enough. <laughs> some of them, yeah, some of them, you can at least neutralize some of them. Also, they're being distracted by the crack in time that they're feeding on. This is true. Uh, and uh, they do grab his, the collar of his jacket at the last second, and he has to wriggle out of it and run away without his jacket. She never gets back, I don't think. So the angels stop to feed on the the crack energy. Well, he has it back for one brief scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the angels stop to feed on the crack energy, and <laughs> but the doctor says they shouldn't because it's pure time energy from the end of the universe. It's very bad for them. To, don't it, so that's a little PSA for all of you. Crack energy is bad for you. So just <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Amy is collapsing. She's just she's falling apart she's she can't move you know go anywhere she's kind of falling inward on herself and uh, this is where i made the note about the angel in her mind being a perfect evolutionary predatory trick uh the doctor says a a living mental image in a living human mind but we stare at them to stop them getting closer we don't even blink and that's exactly what they want because as long as our eyes are open they can climb inside there's an angel in her mind so uh 
you know, interesting. And th- but this is where the doctor figures out the way to get it to stop or to slow it, slow it at least is to right cl- to close her eyes so she's not getting visual input. It'll at least slow down the angel for reasons, apparently. Yes, I thought when I first saw this that he would do something with the sonic to kind of shut down the vision centers of her brain or something like that. That would take something a little more drastic than just closing her eyes. But um, I guess we then we wouldn't be able to have her just open her eyes later on when she wants to. Yep. Because appa- yeah. cause at that point, she's got two seconds left, and it's the longest two seconds ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is problematic on the logic level. Uh, the theory is we're, we're shutting down input to her, the visual centers of her brain so they'll act slower or something and the angel won't progress as fast as it's taking over her. But I don't, I don't think I buy that. Mm. On, not on the logic level. If you shut your eyes, but you are stopping input from coming into your visual center, which just means your visual center is active and able to think about what's in your imagination. Right. And if anything, I think opening your eyes and flooding in more non-angelic visual stimuli would be the way to slow down the angel. If all you've got to do is think about the angel that's taking you over and you're denying your visual center input, that would speed up the process. But on the horror logic level, we now have the opposite of the don't blink problem, the don't open your right. eyes problem, mm-hmm. which is also really hard for humans to do. Yeah. Right. Well, they're using the analogy of the eyes are like the TV camera and the visual center is like the television itself, you know, and all it's doing right. is projecting the image. And so the angels in this visual cortex. And if you take out the signals from outside, you're removing that projection. It's the same thing as that little flashing, you know, the the four second loop of video, and then it flashed. And it's the same thing. It's it's pausing it at that flash instead of the the loop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we like we said before that that we we can't push these too far because the no. <laughs> the lot you you'll find a whole lot. But I I do like the idea that it is the opposite solution to blink. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do like Agreed. that. So the doctor leaves Amy with the other clerics until he gets back, because he and Octavian and River are going to go to the primary flight deck. And I like how the doctor says, Father Octavian, if anything happens to Amy, I'll hold every single one of you responsible twice, which, of course, (laughs) as a time traveler, he can. Yes. (laughs) He'll come back and hold your responsibility Come back five minutes before and do it again. (laughs) Now, obviously, Amy doesn't want him to leave. Right, but he does anyway, and then he comes back, and even though she's got her eyes closed, we see that he's got his jacket. And then he leaves again after saying some kind of comforting things to her, and people looked at this scene and said, wait a minute, he's got his jacket back. That's a continuity error. But it's not a continuity error. It's part of a deeper continuity we won't find out about until the end of the season. Oh, that's right. Right, 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 right. Uh, That's true. I totally forgot that. That's good. He does say something here that I kind of like. He says, Amy, you need to start trusting me. It's never been more important. And she says, but you don't always tell me the truth. And the doctor said, if I always told you the truth, I wouldn't need you to trust me. That's really cool broken (laughs) logic. Yeah, (laughs) yes. But again, this is the doctor with the tweed jacket, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that yes. where that is? This is yeah. yeah, this is where he's got the tweed jacket, and he also tells Amy, you have to remember. 
And he doesn't right. explain what he means by that. Yes. So Octavian tells the doctor that at this point, he reveals to the doctor what River's really doing there. She's in his custody. She was released from Storm Cage Containment Facility, which I love that name of a prison. Oh, yeah. And, Great name. <laughs> and must, it must stay with him until he, she finishes her mission and earns her part. So uh, he, he reveals that bit. And he's legally responsible for her. Right. The doctor says the crack is caused by a big bang someday that is so big that it damages every moment in history, past and future. And the date of the explosion, well, we don't get to see the whole date until the very end of the episode, but the date of the explosion is June 6th, 2010, which is very fun, funny because uh, Actually, it's as not I June, watched it's this- it w- not June 6th, it's June 26th. Is it? Oh, I must have uh, missed that. Yeah, but yeah, I know, a good connection yeah. though, but- No, no, no. Yeah. Time can be rewritten in the original timeline. Don watched it on June. 6th. <laughs> we got we got to leave it June twenty sixth because that's my anniversary of my priestly ordination. So oh okay oh. all right we'll, we'll you go both with that. have your own timelines okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so June twenty sixth. I watched this on June sixth, two thousand twenty. So that, that was yeah, exactly. The, the, kind of the the funny bit of that. And um, happy anniversary, Father. Yes. Yes. Happy anniversary. Uh, and as people are watching, this is way past both of those days. Uh, listening to this, though, this is way past both of those days. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, meanwhile, the soldier clerics are standing around Amy, who's got her eyes closed. Uh, and the angel, they're watching the angels approach through the forest from all sides. But the angels start turning out the tree lights, which start blinking and advancing on the soldiers. And all seems lost until a bright light floods the whole forest and all the angels disappear toward it. They all like are drawn toward it. Uh, and and it turns out this is the big crack uh, that's getting bigger, getting bigger. Much bigger. And, yeah, the doctor begins realizing that time is running out, literally, that it's changing, which is why. Remember in Victory of the Daleks, Amy didn't remember the Daleks taking Earth, mm-hmm. you know, out of it, the solar system to that other place, and all the the the, the strangers, all the planets in the sky. Now she didn't remember that because time has been rewritten. Amy ends up deciding that she needs to open her eyes to look at the crack in the wall for some reason. And the soldier who's with her doesn't remember the other cleric soldiers that he'd sent to go look at the crack. It's like, who are you talking about? There's no one else. There's, there's never been yeah. anyone else with us. There there never was a Crispin or Philip or Pedro on this mission. Yep. Yes. There are four lights. No, sorry. That's another. <laughs> I just watched part of that episode, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so while the doctor is uh, ruminating on why no one remembers the Cyber King that stomped all over Victorian London, uh, Octavian is grabbed I, around I the neck. I personally, I don't want to remember the Cyber King that stomped all over. No, <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to remember. Uh, Octavian is grabbed around the neck by an angel, and he knows he's going to die. And he tries to warn the doctor about River that he can't trust her. Then uh, when the last soldier who's with Amy, named Marco, he goes into the light. Don't go into the light. He goes into the light mm-hmm. himself and leaves Amy alone. And Octavian has this moment where he's going. He's telling the doctor to leave him. He says, uh, "A great, another great line. I will die in the knowledge that my courage did not desert me at the end. For that, I thank God and bless the path that takes you to safety." And the doctor says, "I wish I'd known you better." And Octavian says, "I think, sir, you knew me at my best." Which, mm. which uh, really, really good gr- line. Yeah. Really oh, yeah. good line. I really like that. Also, in the warning where he says, "You can't trust River." She was in Stormcage because she killed a man. Yep. And he right. implies it's the doctor. 
Right. And yep. I mean, that is in the subtext. It's not just something that we know in hindsight. It's he's implying it. You can't trust her because she killed a man. Put the pieces together. Right. 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 A good man. A hero yeah. to many. Right. And then as the doctor is about to go, he, he like checks with Father Octavian and says, ready? You know, like, do you need another moment to live? And right. instead of saying ready, Father Octavian says, content. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's when the doctor dives through the hatch and you hear this terrible sound effect of Octavian's neck being broken. Oh, uh, someone was just making a salad and snapping their celery. Come on. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a bunch of celery being snapped. Angels feed on three things. They feed on time energy, radiation, and salad. There you go. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the last soldier, Marco, uh, finally disappears from Amy. He's on the, the communicator with her as he walked toward it and then it went dead. She's alone now, and that's really effective. Because now she's yes. on her own. She can't open her eyes. What's she going to do? Yep. And so the doctor calls her on the radio, and he wants her to walk toward him, and she needs to follow the sound of the sonic. He programmed the communicator so that, as a direction finder, she'll hear the sound of the sonic when she's pointed in the right direction, or she will never have existed. <laughs> so just, you know, so start walking. Uh, yep. Meanwhile, the angels are now running from the time energy. They want to get away from it. They finally realized uh, it's really bad crack, for them. Crack is bad for them. Yeah. Crack is bad for them. <laughs> so Amy, and he tells Amy that she has to walk as if she can see the angels because the quantum lock now is not something that's sort of automatic. It's they do, they're doing it consciously but yeah, when my, they think they're being watched. I wonder if it's a little of both where they can, they can initiate it themselves or it, it's mm -hmm. done, you know, just by yeah. subconscious uh, reaction, however you want to put autonomic, it. Yeah. Can they, can, can the angels not hear the doctor telling her this? <laughs> well, they don't have a voice of their own. Maybe they don't process speech around them unless, unless it's through someone like Angel Bob. That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. When they're stone, they're stone, right? When they're, when they're quantum mm -hmm. locked. So uh, at one point, Amy trips over a root, which you'd expect, and falls and can't find the communicator. And as this is happening, River turns to the doctor. They're in the control room now, and River turns yeah. to the doctor and says, this is never going to work. Yes. I'm trying to get Amy to them. And that's a very significant thing, especially what we know in hindsight, because that's her mom. Yep. Yes. And she's saying, this is never going to work. From River's perspective, time is about to be rewritten, and it's yes. going to have implications for her if her mom goes out of existence. That's it's true. the mom paradox. <laughs> right. So as Amy has fallen, the angels start to think, start to realize that she can't see them. And we see, we see the angels moving toward her, their head turning, they're moving. So this is the first time we've ever seen angels actually moving on screen. And this is the point I was talking about in the last episode, which is, it, I think it undoes a little bit of the creepiness of the angels for me. Because what makes the angels so creepy is that they move toward you when in the in the time between blinks when you can't see them they're creepiest when they're w because you can't see them come for you i think that's the thing that makes them really effective what do you guys think i i don't know i mean i i think i thought this was also pretty effective for the creepiness level if nothing else because it's something that's only done in this one scene i mean you see yeah. a couple of like the flash scenes where they're reaching into the trees and it's like you know, they're moving a couple of inches at a time into the trees as they're 
you know, only as between the light flashes. Only between, only between flashes. This is the one time where you see him actually turn and look. Yeah. And I think that keeps it kind of kind of creepy. Of course, you know, my, in my head canon, it's, you know, when you watch the show, you're watching this all from the TARDIS's camera. And the TARDIS's <laughs> right. camera apparently doesn't affect the the angels. But, you know, but it, no, it, yeah. I, I thought it was I thought it was creepy only because it's not something they go back to again and again and again. It's this one yeah. really intense scene and all of a sudden they're turning you know yeah i can i can go both ways on it i it, it doesn't I, as father says it, the fact they don't keep doing it yeah. is part of what makes it work for those people for whom it works right but it also won't work for everybody but i i see the resonance of you know wow we've never seen these things move and now we see it move wow you know, the, I, I, on the other hand, I understand the counter argument, so I can I can see it both ways. Yeah, because I think one of the things that made this monster most effective for fans is that we are in the story in the sense of where we are like the characters because we are su- the the angels are subject to the same rules when we look at them and look away as the characters are. So it makes them seem more real. I think that's what it's. But but I get your point. They only do it the one time and. I think by not doing not doing it more, it it makes it uh, it, it doesn't hurt it too much. At least we don't have to worry about an angel coming out of our TV screens or doing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to me. We only have one more episode of Weeping Angels left. Anyway, uh, so just in time, just as the uh, as the angel is reaching out to grab Amy by the neck, uh, which is kind of a bit of a foreshadowing again right to Mm -hmm. angels take manhattan river gets the transmat that was broken in the control room Uh, she gets it working and transports her to them so that's river's solution to getting her to walk here is never going to work we're going to beam her here yes and that's after the doctor told her that the transmat uh, was broken and couldn't be fixed in time in in your face doctor so the angels (laughs) have now arrived at the flight deck and they've calculated they tell him, we've calculated that if you throw yourself into the time rift, uh, you're a complicated enough space-time event that you'll close it. And and River thinks he's going to do it, but he tells her and Amy to grab onto something. He tells them, well, look, if we threw every weeping angel into that, that you know, you know, it might close it uh, too. And she, they don't, first they don't realize that's his solution, is he's going to throw every weeping angel into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he also and says so, to get a grip. Get a grip. Yeah. Finally, he says, and River, it, Amy, get a grip. Yes. Because he knows at this moment, the gravity plating in the ship, because everything in the ship's been failing, the gravity plating is about to fail, and the sh- everything turns sideways, because remember, the Byzantium is pointed straight down into the cavern. All the angels then fall into the crack below them on the other side of the forest, closing it. So this is coincidence that the gravity plating would fail right now, just yes. at this crucial moment, yep. and coincidence is lazy writing. Should have yep. had a con- should have had his hand on the control switch for the gravity plating and turned it mm-hmm. off. Simple fix, right? Right. Or, yeah, it's a way to we. It's way too convenient here. A little day. Yeah, they, they could have done the switch. They could have done while I, while I was monkeying around. I rigged up a timer, and you see three, two, one, boom. Right. Yeah. Uh, Something like fact, that. They could have had a great moment where the doctor starts counting three, two. Yeah, exactly. And the <laughs> angels say, why are you counting? 
for fun. For fun. <laughs> to make and have fun. fun. <laughs> that would have been, a, I think that would have been great. That would have been, been the best, yeah. <laughs> All right, so so this is our solution. This is how we the doctor takes care of the weeping angels and, and gets rid of them. Apparently, they've never existed at this point now that he's dropped them into the crack. Now, there is there is a plot hole that we don't see until a couple episodes later about the fact that they can all remember the Weeping Angels, and it has to do with Rory. Well, doesn't the doctor say in this episode, though, that the reason you can remember the certain things is because you're a time traveler now? Yes, and that- he says that. But yeah. they're inconsistent about this, that. Yeah, they're inconsistent about it. And, and towards the end okay. of the season, it'll come up. Rory gets forgotten because he yeah. gets swallowed by the crack. Okay. But then he's okay. also sort of not forgotten. Right, right. And for some reason, Amy must remember. <laughs> remember, yes. Amy. Uh, so after everything's done, outside on the beach, the doctor tells Amy that the angel in her memory that, you know, that was in her eye never existed. But she, like you said, she remembers it because she's a time traveler now. Uh, the cl- the crack is closed for now in this time, but the explosion that caused it is still happening somewhere in time. So they still still has to be dealt with. Uh, River is now in c- uh, handcuffs, waiting to be transmatted up to the the uh, the ship, uh, the the Octavian ship. She says she doesn't know if she's done enough to earn her pardon yet, but maybe she has. And that leads to a discussion of why she was in there, and she admits to killing the best man she's ever known. Right. Uh, and then she tells him that she'll, he will see her again soon when the Pandorica opens, and he says, oh, that's just a fairy tale. And she says, aren't we all? In the Stephen <laughs> Moffat era? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, he's pretty much telling us exactly what it is. Uh, and uh, I have a note here, and I think we've already answered it, but uh, does River know at this point who Amy is to her? And she yes. must. She must. Yep. So Amy asks to go home at this point, uh, and assures the doctor, it's not because I, I don't want to keep traveling with you. I have to show you what I've been running from, because the, you know, mm-hmm. the doctor had admitted he's been running. Uh, and she tells him she's getting married to Rory in the morning after the doctor insults Rory's looks. He's like, oh, which one? The good-looking one? Or the other one? <laughs> which one are you getting married to? The good-looking one? And she's like, hmm. And he goes, oh, well, he's nice, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poor Rory. Rory's the best. Uh, and then she tr- th- this is where... I don't know. I I just don't like this. She tries to to put come it, on to the doctor, yes, get involved romantically with him. I don't and he know refuses. That that's what she's trying to do. She is planning on marrying Rory in the morning, but yes. she's planning to have some oatmeal, pre so some so some <laughs> wild oats pre show pre show fun. Yeah, yeah, she's she is trying to take his shirt off at one point. And Stephen Moffat, and this was something that really set a lot of fans off. And Stephen Moffat has since admitted this was a mistake, that yes. he thinks this just didn't work. Well, they, yeah. they, I think they tried to get, get the, you know, the Amy was kind of the crazy person who was living all alone for all these years and everything. I think they tried to bring a little bit of that back. Right. You know, yeah. and it just didn't. And yeah, that connection was, to him as the the raggedy man and her obsession with him through her whole life, that sort of thing. There is a, a, a kind of a, a fun little, you know, double meaning line where she says, uh, I've been um I've been thinking about what I really want or about who I want. Get it? Who, Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who I want, yeah. Uh so uh, 
But in the middle of it, of all of this, he stops her and he realizes that everything that is going on, the, the explosion in time, the crack in the wall, is all about her, and that the explosion that that damages all of space and time occurs in the morning, that the on the day of her wedding day. So, so, so there's something about that wedding day that is going to be what causes the this thing that damages all of time and space and eats up the universe. So mm-hmm. it, she's the most important person in the universe. Uh, so for now, for now, yes, <laughs> and then someone else will be uh, the impossible girl will be. So, uh, in fact, he calls her impossible, uh, Amy Bond. So that's kind of a recurring theme, apparently. Any, uh, so that's where we end the episode. Any uh, last notes, Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy? So early on in this episode, we have more teasing about River being the doctor's wife. Because Mm -hmm. Amy, as she talked to the doctor in the previous episode and says, like, she's Mrs. Doctor from the future, right? And he doesn't know. So in this episode, she goes to her and, and like, says, you're here, the doctor's wife from the future. And River says, oh, honey, I mean, she tries to dodge it. And when Amy persists, it's like, oh, honey, do you ever think it could be something as simple as that? Implying it's (laughs) something much more complex than being his wife. But Amy just says, yep. She won't have it. You're his wife. And so and and so we we have these competitive themes in this episode about Rivers the doctor's future wife, but River can't be trusted and is going to kill him. And yes. so we have these two juxtaposed messages about River and I really like that it sets up this dramatic tension for how are they going to pay off these two themes? I mean, she could just be a horrible woman that that kills her husband, but I know the doctor can't really die, and they're not portraying River as a horrible woman. So there's got to be some much more creative solution to how all that is going to happen, and I really like the way they set that up. Also, there's just a ton of creative stuff in this two-parter. I mean, we've got the hallucinogenic lipstick, we've got the timey-wimey outer space rescue. We've got Amy hallucinating her hand. We've got the reverse being stone. We've got the reverse of don't blink, don't open your eyes. We've got sacred Bob talking over the radio. We've got mm-hmm. Amy counting. You know, it, there's just a ton of creativity in this. And I really admire that. As From my perspective, this is, as I said, the second best angel story after Blink. Other people like it even more. For me, it's the second best, but I want to acknowledge just how much creative stuff there is in this. Well, that's that's one thing it's, that Stephen Moffat's well-known for is some of the creative twists and things that he can put in. It's just at times, like we've talked about during these two episodes, his writing can sometimes get a little sloppy, too. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I noticed, and one of the difference between Davies and, and Moffat is just how snappy the dialogue is how great the dialogue is and sometimes to the detriment of the narrative of the plot but the dialogue like the, the the back and forth is always you can always count on Moffat and Gatiss and 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 that little crew to always have really great dialogue between people i mean i spend half the time trying to just like you know how i always have my little bit at the end of the episode where i have one of the lines from the from the show that you know always remember and with you know the davies stuff it's, i usually find something with Moffat, I'm like, I've got to 
a plethora of wines I could choose from because they're all so snappy. It's so great. Mm. Uh, and, and I always love like that, with, whether it's in this or in Sherlock, I, I think Moffat is great at writing this snappy, cool, back and forth dialogue. But sometimes he is a little, like you said, by the way, sloppy with plot or, you know, logic and that sort of stuff. And I'd love to have, you know, a little combination where you get both of them. <laughs> you know, you kind of get a little bit better logic and, and plot, but we're still with a great snappy dialogue. So we'll see. Maybe maybe Chibnall will get that. For me, that's blank. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else you wanted on that nope, one there? that was uh, mine. Okay. So uh, we do, before we wrap up, we do have a little bit of uh, listener feedback. Uh, this one is on our episode, recent episode on the Macra Terror, which is a second Doctor story. Uh, this comes from Ted Koval, who wrote on our Facebook page. He said, uh, I've been listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who since episode one, but I'm new to the classic Who episodes. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the, the real world pandemic, <laughs> I subscribed to BritBox <laughs> and have started a watch from the beginning of season one and skipped around to catch classic episodes when they're on an episode of the podcast. When watching the Macro Terror, Terror, sorry, my Boston accent came out there. When watching the Macro Terror, that, that's okay. Lots of British accents are non-rotic too. <laughs> I know. I, I feel very close to uh, our British friends. In a way, I was grateful that the episode was animated after watching the Web Planet serial from season two. With the way the Zarbi and Monoptra costumes were done, I can't imagine what the Macro looked like in the original episode. I really enjoy the podcast and appreciates Jimmy's fashion review. Re Perry. And I was looking forward to Jimmy's fashion review of Leela from the next classic podcast, but it wasn't in the episode. Uh, and he, then he ends with, keep up the good work. Oh, <laughs> I like Leela's fashions. <laughs> That's my review. I like yeah. Leela's fashions. Uh, yeah. So, and on Facebook, I, I, I put a picture of, so he could see what the unanimated original macro props look like. and or macro prop and they don't it, it doesn't look anywhere near as good no. yeah i do like though he mentions the web planet which is a first doctor serial that we haven't reviewed yet and on the web planet the doctor and barbara and ian and um vicky i think at that time mm. go to a planet that is inhabited by insects by intelligent insects and there's kind of an ant-based insect race and a moth-based insect race, and they have kind of like an aphid-based race that are their kind of their cattle. They're not fully sentient. And it's 1960s children's television budget, but <laughs> wow, is it ambitious. Yeah. yeah. And I don't care that this doesn't look perfect. You know, the, and that, that at one point, one of the ant-based creatures bumps its head on the camera. <laughs> you know, this is just I just admire the moxie of the web oh, yeah. planet of let's 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 put all this multiracial insect alien civilization on screen. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The, there are episodes in the in the early classic who that where that really it really looks good. Like the the Mayan episodes of the first. The, oh, that was, that was fantastic. About. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that uh, or. Came, or yep. the tiny the the episode where the TARDIS's size thing malfunctions yep. and they all come out tiny. Yes, and all those giant props that they built. Uh, yeah, I mean that was all <laughs> really well done. But yeah, I agree. I I, I never saw the Macro Terror in you know any bit of it in its original form. You know any of the photos. I really enjoyed the animated version. I think mm -hmm. it was. I'd love to see more 
of the classic stuff that we've lost animated and that's, uh, be- because it shows you how good the stories themselves were that they could hold up. It's clear that the BBC is making a conscious effort for because, you know, was it about a year or two ago that Power of the Daleks came out, Macro mm-hmm. came out, Faceless Ones are coming out shortly. I mean, so they're they're making an effort to go back to these stories. I think they're focusing more on the second Doctor because the second Doctor is more popular than William Hartnell was. But eventually, yeah. I'm sure they'll go back. Also, more of his more of his tenure is missing. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, but it, it, it's nice that they're making this conscious effort. Yes, it would be wonderful to be able to jump in a TARDIS and go watch these episodes as they aired, you know, the original <laughs> recordings. It's not going to happen. Uh, my DeLorean's broken down, so we're just going to have to watch the, the, the video. Now, I do have to ask, though, Dom, if Macro Terror was in Boston, would they be giant lobsters? Yes, hopefully. <laughs> and then we'd have a wonderful feast at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, my hope is that there is some like some abandoned warehouse in Kenya or in Australia or somewhere in the former Commonwealth where all of these reels of all of these old Doctor Who are sitting just waiting to be rediscovered. <laughs> they still find them. What was, um, I guess it was probably about 10 years ago, was, was the last major catch of... Yeah. Uh, uh, the second doctor's episodes they found so i mean in- still including playing. enemy of the world which enemy is a the world. great one yes it is yeah yeah i got that one on itunes when that first came out that i mean it, it's a great one we'll get to it eventually uh, it's, yes. it's a great story well thanks ted for the the feedback and uh, i'm really glad that you're enjoying the classic episodes i mean this is yeah. one of the things that reasons why we started going back to those is because you know in this time between new who there's all this great stuff that's out there and Plenty of people who only came to Who in the, in the during the new Who, like me, oh, yeah, um, have a chance to go back and enjoy fifty years worth of Doctor Who. So this is that's I'm glad to hear. And those of us who grew up watching classic Who, we get to go back and watch them again, and probably been you know thirty years <laughs> since we've seen them. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Excellent. All right, so uh, let's wrap things up there then. And uh, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create. The Secrets of Doctor Who, this time including Sandra C., Donna K., Mark L., John K., and Chris. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And as always, we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. So what did you think of this Second of two parts from the Eleventh Doctor, Flesh in Stone. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Earthshock. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Ooh, I'm all shook up. Thanks, Dom. <laughs> And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, we're not achieving anything. We're just hanging. It's nice in here. Consoles, comfy chairs, a forest. How are things with you? We've got comfy chairs. Did I mention? Right. This is going to be fun.